You're about to enter seventh heaven. If you like this pod, then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel. If you're looking for extra content, you can go to our YouTube page or our social channels, Twitter and Instagram, our handle at seventh heaven pod. Again, like, subscribe, share, and we hope you enjoy the episode. And I knew, like, as soon as I had that conversation, I was like, I'm never playing for England again. And we've got Colin, who is a male stripper. <laughs> Welcome to Seventh Heaven, your celestial one-stop pod for all things sevens. Yes, that's right. It's me, Bernsey, and I'm back with Chip and Mitch for season two of the Rugby Sevens podcast that brings you the biggest, the best, the most interesting guests from around the planet. Last year, we brought you Dan Norton, Perry Baker, Ben Ryan, Alex Gray, you name it, they were on the pod and we're kicking things off with a bang with Ben Foden in the house. He of Saints and England 15s fame. Well, do you know what? He donned a Sevens jersey back in the day and he's playing out in Bermuda and the inaugural World 10 Series event, which is what our show is going to be based around this week. In fact, we are going all the way over to Bermuda to speak to the boys live momentarily. And with such exotic destinations comes fame, comes celebrity, comes stardust. And we've stolen a few sprinkles to dust your eardrums with for the next 60 minutes, as well as the latest England and GB7s update. With Tokyo in mind in 2021. So with the boys in Bermuda and time difference, Wi-Fi and hurricanes creating some obstacles with recording, I caught up with the boys earlier and we're going to jump right into the chat, starting with the Bermuda Tens. The Bermuda Tens, a.k.a. the Fire Festival of Rugby Union, I mean, this thing has come out of nowhere. It's got a lot of hype around it. It's a bit crazy with different teams from different nations coming together, players of all sorts. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it, boys. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. Obviously, we didn't have our flights confirmed until four days before we flew. Uh, And we've got here and we're with... um, There's all sorts of range of players. We've got people like BJ Folden, um, multiple caps for England, being a premiership player in the MLR. Uh, and then we've got three lads who were off a combine uh, in, in the USA, who some have very limited uh, rugby experience. We've got Jimmy, who's a um, Notre Dame uh, S&C coach, who quit his job to come here. Um, we've got Gio, who's a bartender, who's quit his job to be here. And we've got Colin, who is a male stripper. Um, <laughs> who was... <laughs> who has uh, put his job on hold to be here. Um, uh, all sorts of characters, different levels of playing, um, good lads. Um, and yeah, like things are kicking on, uh, developing. We've got all sorts. It's really, it's quite cool just being in the mix with like people you've never met before. We've got, we got Pablo, Pablo from, yeah. uh, from Cape Town. Um, not, it's not his real name. His real name is Stefan. Um, we've got a couple of guys from England as well, obviously in the London Royals team. We've got Devontae from Saints. Um, obviously the England Sevens contingent, but a load of other boys, Andrew Duratalo, an American lad representing the US boys. Uh, loads of good lads. 
But we're certainly enjoying getting to know them and it's going to be real fun playing with them as well. So look, just to give the listeners a bit of clarity on the tournament, it's the inaugural Bermuda 10s held out in Bermuda and it's really a test event for a potential World 10 series that they're looking to expand into a 16-team tournament with 12 destinations around the world in the coming year. But this year, there's only seven. It's the London Royals, the Ohio Aviators, the Asia-Pacific Dragons, SX10, who are a team hailing from Cape Town, Miami Sun, Rhinos Rugby, and Phoenix Middle East. I think there was meant to be an eighth from South America, but they had to pull out because of you-know-what. So instead, it's going to be a league format. The teams play each other home and away in inverted commas across two weeks. And then there's a finals weekend. So teams are squads of 20 players, max squads of 16 players, 10 minutes each way, two minute half time. But there's some funky stuff going on as well because they're driving it towards entertainment. Tell us about some of the cool rules. In fact, Mitch, why don't we step into Norse's corner? You can talk us through the ins and outs. Welcome back to Norse's Corner. I know that you've waited with bated breath to be back in here. Strap in. Uh, the very first rule that's interesting over here in the tens, normally when you score a try, you take the conversion in line with wherever that try was scored. No, no, no. Not in the World 10 series. Here you have the choice of where you take your conversion. So wherever the try is scored from, you can either take the one-pointer from in front of the sticks you can take a two-pointer, which is on the line of the 22 and the 15-meter line. You can get a three-pointer, which is on the 15-meter line and the 10. Or you can go for the big gun, the five-pointer, direct in front of the post, but on the halfway line. So that's going to be so that's going to be pretty telling. You know, the decision-making around that, where you're at in the game, how many minutes left, what's the scores on the doors. And also, they're not going to be hanging around for kicks. They're, they're going to be trying to rush you on the kicks. Not like in those uh, 15s games where they take about three minutes to pop over a conversion. No, no, they're going to be rushing it through. Not quite as quick as sevens, but it's going to be pretty swift. So there's that. And that's going to, that's going to be pretty interesting. Another couple of things which we won't have seen on a, seven, on, a, on a rugby field before are the captain's timeout, which is a pretty interesting one. You can basically call a timeout at any stoppage. So say there's a scrum or a line out. You can call a timeout. The coaches can come on the field. You can have a little huddle, just like in the NBA. You get your team tactics, decide what you're going to do for that play and, uh, and try and make it worthwhile. Get one of those again. You also get one opportunity, again, a captain's call to dispute a try. So if a team scores a try, I think you can dispute anything within two phases previous to that scoring. If you think there's been an infringement that's been missed by the officials, that one's probably got some juice, whether that's uh, up for debate about whether that's positive for the game or not, um, for the purists. And, and lastly, an interesting nuance is the rolling subs format. So normally you have to wait for a... Um, you have to wait for a stoppage and you bring your sub on um, and that's a permanent change. Well, in this, in any stoppage, you can just roll someone on, take someone off. You could do that as many interchanges as you want, um, which is, you know, changes the dynamic of the game for sure. And very lastly, kickoffs, which I've been working on for the last 10 years, normally a drop kick. 
um, all that time and effort on the training field's gone to waste because now it's off a tee. So it's back to the old school, kick off a tee for the kickoffs. Um, haven't worked out quite what we're going to do with that one yet, but I'm sure there'll be some variations. That's the Noises Corner wrap-up of the World 10's rules out here in Bermuda. No one's got a clue what it's going to look like. We'll find out. <laughs> are, you fi- are you finding it, Chip? Noises Corner or out here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, the, I know the answer to Noises Corner. It's snooze button all the way. But what about the, what about the ruggers in Bermuda? It's decent. To be honest, like, I'm absolutely loving being out back on the pitch with the lads. Um, like obviously I've been coaching in a school for the last couple of months and doing a bit of one-on-one stuff and getting involved in drills as much as I can but you can't replicate like playing with your mates and running around and having a good laugh when you're out playing I'm absolutely loving it I'm just really excited to get a game on the weekend and just see what it's like running into someone full tilt again Specifically tens, Chip uh, is that a style of game that's going to suit you? Yeah, I think so. I think oh, sorry, I've, I've, sorry, I've, I've, sorry, I've asked that like, as in it wouldn't see you. That's not what I meant. Say my computer. Yeah, yeah. Chip, tens. Sounds like a game that's going to suit you nicely. Yeah, I mean, for me, like the thing I bring to sevens is physicality, um, goal forward and kickoffs and being a breakdown menace, um, all of which are involved in tens. And obviously there's going to be more opportunities for me to be more physical and get stuck into a couple more breakdowns. Um we had, a, we had a meeting the other day with all the coaches and they said, oh, we're not sure if the team's full of jackalers. And I was like itching to put my hand up and say, oh, sir, sir, I'm a jackaler. I like getting over the ball. But obviously I, I held my tongue and I let my uh, play do the talking on the weekend. Now, it's an exciting format. Um, be interesting to see how it goes. But yeah, I'm just buzzing to get stuck in and um, yeah, get involved. You're playing quite a few players out of position as well. Are, you, are we going to see a lot of that? A lot of forwards interchanging? to the backs and backs into forwards how dynamic is it going to be obviously in sevens there's a very much a blurred line often between backs and forwards more so than in 15s i guess 10 is kind of a halfway house i think you will see backs in that forward pack um especially guys in, in the second row slotting in there um but there's definitely a few specialist forwards out there we've heard that there's definitely um some big front rows which is a different challenge not something that we're used to anyway playing on the seven series um, I think a couple of our boys, Tombo and Dan Norton, are pretty excited about that prospect on one side of the ball, but perhaps not on the other side of the ball. What about your kicking strategy? How are you going to approach these conversions, Mitch? Are you going to go big balls out, first kick, first kick of the tournament, five-pointer, mic drop off the field, London Royals, out? <laughs> I mean, every fibre of my being and my instinct tells me you go for the five-pointer every time. But there's one big factor here in Bermuda so far which is going to play into that, and that is the wind. Obviously, we're currently in the middle of Hurricane Epsilon, um, but that's due to die down. But I still think the wind's going to be a factor. If it's behind if it's behind you, you put that ball up in the air and it'll sail through, assuming it's in a straight line. If not, you've got no chance. It's a tactical thing as well, because if you're on the field at the time when you score, obviously you're probably a bit tired. So it makes sense to bring someone on from the sideline to kick the goal and then go off again. Because you can bring a kicker on just to kick the conversion and then go off. So in theory, it's like NFL style. You have a specialist kicker. Um, Special teams. Special teams. Speaking of special teams, a former pod 
guest and NFL exponent, Alex Grace out there. Is he going to play for you? He's a non-playing squad member. So he has got Willy Wonka's golden ticket. He's out here. He's touring the factory. He's eating all the chocolate and he's basically not getting sucked into the river of, of, of chocolate, is he? No. He's not getting sucked up. He's not getting blown up into a blueberry. He's not <laughs> getting... He's, please, save some room for later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He, he's, he's not being turned into a TV. He's literally living the dream. He's got all the, all the fun, zero risk, on a holiday, uh, but he's not getting paid. But it's good to see him again. He's... He, tell me he's got his boots, eh? He's got his boots. The kid can play, can't he? He's been training. He's still got it. He keeps saying, I need to put my cleats on before training. I'd, I mean, I'm not out there. I have no intel. But I, mark my words, I think we're going to see Alex Gray out on the pitch. I'm calling it early, boys. I'm calling it early. I'd love, I'd love, I'd love him to, to be honest, because he's a big old unit. He move, he's moving very well. Um, he slid into a drill the other day. He's still got lovely, silky hands. So... He'd be a handy addition. And look, it's a seriously international flavour out there. You've got teams from Cape Town, uh, South California, Singapore-based. What sort of interactions have you had with the other teams or is it all uh, biological bubble stuff for you at the moment? At the moment, we're keeping it in our kind of bubbles. We, we see them to give them a nod every now and again, eat at different tables. Um, but until we have our day eight COVID tests, so you get a... Uh, COVID test pre-flying, COVID test on day one, COVID test on day four, and until day eight, I don't think we're allowed to mingle with the other teams. It is very slick, actually, the COVID thing. Like, we got tested as soon as we got off the plane. We weren't allowed to board the plane unless we had a COVID test negative, negative. result. Um, and then you get, you do temperature. We've done a temperature every meal time, masks, you know, communal areas. It's very slick. They've done a very good job over here in that respect. Um, and the Bermudan government, I guess, really, in terms of what they set up. But yeah, it'd be nice if we get, the, I guess, when the weekend comes around, there'll be a bit more mixing, um, get to know some of the other guys. But obviously, we know a few of them, because uh, especially in the SX10 SX team, because those guys are, are Sevens boys, the Kenyan lads, Luke Trahan, Harry McNulty. So it was a bit of a nice reunion, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. We've got a faithful listener of the pod, Tomasi, who's out here with um, with the Asia Pacific Dragons, and the great man Cecil Africa making a comeback on the Ten Series as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's been good to see him. Um, obviously, an absolute legend of the game. Uh, up for they were nominated for Player of the Decade, um, and then, well, he's got a good chance of winning that. I'd say. Um, so it'd be cool to see him doing his thing out in the Tens field as well. Yeah. So, Chip, you may be incapable of replying to any of my WhatsApps, but like the postman, you've once again delivered. Who have you got for me? You're right, Burns, I'm the postman. Benjamin James Folden, uh, or to his mates, Folds. Um, obviously, you know, I've got to add value to this pod somehow. Pulling strings, left, right and Chelsea, getting in the big names, hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers. And yeah, he's on the pod coming up for you now. Top lad. Look, Burnsy, I've got to let you, I've got to give you the real version of events. We've come in, great squad of lads, all right? Obviously, everyone knows Ben Foden's in the team. Chippy's been sucking up to oh, him. He's been hanging around with him the whole time. He's been like, yes, Ben. He's been like, oh, he's been sitting next to him at mealtimes. 
And like, yes, it's great for the pod that we can now have him on. But honestly, watching him operate and, and sort of suck up to him for the last four days has been painful. This is fiction of the highest variety. <laughs> Mitch is obviously, uh, he's, he's come out straight off a year. He's come straight off a degree from Cambridge University, an English degree, and he's obviously spilled some fiction for you right there. Um, you know, me cool as a cucumber, play it cool, let him come to me. Lured him in, little round of golf, next thing you know, on the pod. Burnsy, how are you, bud? Surely you're the talent in this operation, because these two... <laughs> Mate, ta- talent is such a such a loose expression, isn't it, in this industry? Um, Hang on, you have actually referred to us as being the talent before, yeah. though. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's just that's just like a media word. It's to it's to fluff you up. It's to pump Chippy's tires up so that he performs at his best. Because we know I don't need my tires a sensitive little, little, little flat. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're getting to know this, though, right, Ben? What's it like? Well. I was going to say playing with these two. What's it like getting out of the piss in Bermuda with these two? <laughs> <laughs> you were a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, the viewers can know that he's pointing at Mitch. So. <laughs> are we filming? Are we off? Is this, um, like, is this off? Normally we say like we're off the record, we're on the record. By the way, there's a, there's an edit. So and, then, and, and is it like can, can you off. swear or is yeah, it like yeah. a is it? Yeah, there are a few young listeners. So stay Let's away. not go dropping the C bomb too early doors, but you know we can build up to it. I'm I'm quite clean as whistle, but just sometimes you're an open book, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we got you on. Okay, well, nice. Thanks, mate. The first challenge we might have is obviously like. Normally we get like you know the sevens guys on. You have a fake mic as well. I am a sevens guy. You want to talk about? Well, hang on, I was developing that and chipping cut off. This is we're a bit out of practice, and I feel like we might be letting the side down. Given that Fodes, are we allowed to call you Fodes now? Because we've spent like nearly a week together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um, that'll garner some abuse from the other lads. Um, but Fodes obviously been like in a lot of studios in his time, and I feel like the Seventh Heaven studio might not be up to his standards. So probably start by explaining that. Seventh heaven is more of a mindset. It's more of a state of mind. It's more of a, a feeling than anything else. So I just want to set that one out from the get-go. Honestly, showbiz is completely like that as well. Like everything yeah, looks well. amazing on camera, but is so tacky and rubbish if you like walk in on it. Is it? Yeah, Could give us an example. Like X Factor is a prime example. Like on screen, it looks amazing and stuff. But when you're walking around, it's all like put together. There's like tape everywhere. Everything's like you know if you for the naked eye it's very unprofessional but it's so professional that when they shoot it looks amazing if you know tape, what I mean tape holding Simon's eyes up exactly yeah it's exactly like this actually holding what have I got you've got a bit of lip <laughs> sunblock fit, yeah some sunblock that's my microphone I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you brought the X Factor up Fades I, I can call you Fades I'm in the Fades gang right <laughs> yeah. are we there we're there Welcome. we're there we're there because uh, you were uh, you you were singing with an old teammate of mine, Tom Evans. I'm sure. Do you mention our championship season in Dubai back in 2015, the Open Invitational? He, did, he sadly he didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> he had bigger fish to fry on the X Factor. Classic, modest Tom, modest Tom. They call him. <laughs> Probably why I didn't. Which means that, that you've been on the lash with him. Which means that you know just what the Evans boys offer in that in those sort of situations mate do you know what I actually I ran into him at the ship uh the day after you guys got knocked out and I've, I've got to confess I didn't watch it 
But I was chatting to him and I he goes, oh, no, mate, I've, I've met someone. Uh, you know, I, th- I think she's the one. I was like, you're pulling my leg, right? I mean, come on, you met someone. He's like, no, 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 she's great. I was like, oh, yeah, who is she? He goes, Nicole Scherzinger. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, um, I'm familiar that's, with her work. That's why Tom's uh, the real winner of the X Factor. <laughs> <laughs> they are going strong. They look really happy. They're all insta- doing these weird dances that Tommy Norrie used to do on his own, and now he's got Nicole to do it with him. Perfect match. Do you, or do you reckon we'll be at that stage by the end of our trip here? We can start doing some dances Of course, together. yeah, if you, if you want to go TikTok. TikTok hasn't reached the north yet. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so the big scandal over here is that Zara off Maiden Chelsea cheated with someone on X Factor and uh, she's been called out on TV. Do you want to shed any light on that? Oh, mate, you've, you've put me right in it there. <laughs> uh, I love it, pulling yeah, no punches. You, pull, you put me right in it, yeah. Yeah, apparently. Listen, Sammy, Sammy T is a really good mate of mine because I, I did SAS Who Dares Wins with him, so he's a, he's a real good boy. And I used to love them as a couple as well. I thought they were really good, real cute together and real funny. And I actually came over to New York and I went for dinner with them with my wife. So it's, uh, I was, I was pretty gutted and I messaged Zara saying, say it's not true. Like when all the rumors and she was like, sadly it is true. But it was when they were going through a difficult stage and you don't know the situation behind closed doors. I love Sammy. I love Zara. I hope they get back together. And yeah, people make mistakes. What? As I've made. <laughs> <laughs> we won't we yeah, spend exactly, the next yeah. bit of time digging into those, but <laughs> just like from a broad sense, because like we, you know, Chip and I are pretty regular blokes, as is, as is Bernsey. But what is that like, kind of just very broadly, having that kind of celebrity lifestyle? Like, and people knowing your shit, basically. Like, yeah. Uh, I... Obviously, for the last two years, I've hated it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it comes with sort of like... You know, if you're going to offer yourself up to do programs like X Factor, like SAS Who Dares Wins, that basically rely on people having an opinion on you or something that you're doing. And, you know, with my ex-wife, Una, she was very much in the public uh, eye because she needed to be, because that was sort of like the band thing. The girls were just, you know, up and coming, the, the, the popular girl group at the time. So we sort of could control it, though. If you went to London and went out there, then you knew sort of paparazzi was going to be there and stuff like that. The annoying thing is the, the probing into your life when they like, especially now that I sort of moved away from England, uh, you know, met an American girl who was completely, you know, not famous. So she might be infamous in her, in her own right in New York. But um, <laughs> in terms of like being in the public eye, I sort of thought I got away from that. And then when obviously I got married and stuff, it all went turbo back home and 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 it sort of still does which i found very bizarre because i haven't played for england for ages and you know i'm just very surprised well most people aren't interested in it to be honest if you read the comments under every every <laughs> article ever written in the daily mail they are not nice they're not polite no one really wants me on there so daily mail if you want to lay off me that's fine don't worry about it <laughs> it's a bit of ammo for the next team social out here actually go dredge up some of the yeah. daily mail comments oh, honestly they're awful people what, what's not- s- sas who dares wins like because I would, I would always watched that when I was younger. I was like, it can't be that hard. It can't be that hard. But it looked awesome. No, yeah. So that's the thing. It was awesome, and you would love it as well until the last day, and then it's just minging. Like the the like the floggings and stuff you can get through. The like jumping off cliffs and all that yeah. sort of jumping out of speedboats, jumping out of helicopters. That's all fun. Like it's class. Like adrenaline junkies. We're all like that. But then they do the escape and evade like they starve you they deprive you of sleep then you go on a night excursion and then they capture you and then they stick you in a room and you listen to babies screaming and pigs screaming like sitting in like a half crunch 
And if as soon as you drop your arms, a guy knees you in the back and it lasts like, I think I did like nine hours and I was sort of going crazy about it. But I was like, and I was thinking to myself, if there was like money at the end or like a job, then yeah. But I was doing it for charity and I was like, why am I doing this? Fuck those starving kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were getting the money anyway. Yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And I just thought to myself, oh, I, you know, I, the little bit of me is a bit upset that I didn't finish it because I did probably give up a little bit easy. But the TV show made me look a lot better than I was because during that whole thing, I was like crying. Then I was like talking to myself. Then I was singing. Then I was calling everyone the sea bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and doing all that. And then going quiet. I was just going crazy. So, so from your experience on X Factor and then SAS, how much are you at the mercy of the producers and the editors? Because they can, they can shape the story any way they want. So if you wrong the wrong person, Chip and Mitch, then you could be made to look like a dickhead on a podcast, for example. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that is very true. You are at the mercy of the editing and the cutting. Um, and I think we've seen that on quite a lot of shows. I think it's more on the, the more personal shows like Love Island and things like Big Brother where they can really like screw you in terms of like take your words out of context, you know, because everyone has a conversation. And if you take you know, a 20 second clip of a certain conversation, it can, it can be completely different portrayed to the audience than it was sitting in the group. And that happened to James Haskell actually in uh, Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Do you remember? Because everyone was, so he, he everyone was loving him and then everyone started saying he was a bully and all that. And next week he was voted out and everyone in the camp loved him. No one thought he was a bully. It was just editing and the way it was put across and it screwed it. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a nightmare if Haskell had won. Just let me get me out. Of <laughs> it. Yeah, he's probably done as everyone done the world a favor him not winning. But it, yeah, it definitely is. It's like part of the editing, and because and, I know Haskell's not a bully. <laughs> he's a he's a big character. Yeah. Who, who's the like biggest character you played with in your time? So obviously you played for England Sevens, you put Sail Sharks, and then Northampton, mm -hmm. and now you're over in the states. Who would you say the biggest character is? positive and negative influences uh haskell has to be up there in terms of like if you wanted to like kill a three-hour bus journey <laughs> just sit next to haskell and listen to his stories about what him and paul doran jones used to get up as kids and all that sort of stuff um <laughs> joe marler is an interesting one watching joe marler and johnny may because they had a really weird like Friendship. romance yeah. yeah and you used to like you used to like walk past their room at Peniel park and hear like a load of, and you'd be like what's going on you like knock on the door open the door and they'd be in their underpants wrestling and you'd be like what are you two doing you weirdos That's amazing. yeah just stuff like that uh yeah there's a few characters along the way any big sappers oh yeah not northampton the last like yeah th three or four seasons at northampton when things were going downhill we used to go for coffees and they call it sappuccinos because yeah. tom wood Honestly, if, if things aren't going well, you don't want to be near that guy. He will drain all your energy out of him. But he's always sort of been like that, but plays well anyway, but it's just draining. Ryan Lamb. Ah, Lammy, I know Lammy. 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 He, he brought the Sappuccino to Worcester. That's what I first heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, Ryan Lamb loves the Sappuccino because yeah. when things aren't going well, he's always got something to moan about. One night in heaven, one night in heaven. We, we've been struggling to find time for activities out here in Bermuda so far, and we? Like around all the training, all the field time, all the time in the gym, all the team meetings. It's been tough to, it's been tough to um, get anything else done, to be honest. Yeah. You two are literally brain dead, aren't you? Like, <laughs> you lie to my face, you lie to me on WhatsApp, and then you just post about your other life on social media. Do you think I'm an idiot? 
I know you've not been replying to my messages. I've just seen a lovely photo of Mitch on social media. It's just him with his hat on and his long hair and his shades at the end of his nose. It's like a real... Who took that photo? A real candid... It must be amazing. I'm like, you want to have paparazzi (laughs) for you. So is is morale good in the London Royals, it's fair to say? Blossoming? I'd say so. We've got a good group of lads. Um, It's weird because obviously... Most people don't know anyone else in the team. Like, you know, one or two people. We did have a little, there was a little jab in the ribs for the England Sevens clique early on, and rightly so. So we tried to break that up, um, make some new friends. For a number of reasons, though. Like turning up to training in full England stash. Just thought, I thought, oh, wow, okay. Oh, it's like that, is it, boys? It's all the kit we had. It's all the kit we had. But what Foe's isn't telling me that he's actually bought his own full England stash. He just hasn't worn it yet. I've got my England shirt and shorts from circa 2002. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're almost in danger there of steering the chat back onto some rugby because yeah. you've played a lot in your time how old are you now approximately 35 <laughs> yeah 35 so like going backwards now though so the next time you ask me will be 34 35 <laughs> 35 yeah. do you know the, the last time I fully was played I played for England fully capped is, is 2015 is it five years ago and which no coach? even late it must be 2014 you told me 2014 yeah. which coach was coaching then 2014 uh, Lanny Lanny. Lanny and Farrell. Cat. Bastards. Yeah. No, well, yeah. Nah, they were all right. I won't go into that. <laughs> no, <laughs> Leave it at that. I'm not. never getting picked again, let's be honest, so I could just slag everybody off. You never know. This is a, obviously a worldwide um, tournament. World Series 10. Well, I told, you, I told you about Eddie Jones. When Eddie Jones phoned me, uh, to say like he's going to be the new coach and he's like looking at plays and he said get back to attacking rugby and you'll be in with a shout and I knew like as soon as I had that conversation I was like I've never played for England again and it scared the life of me thinking that I'd get called back into the squad just because I knew I wouldn't be able to keep up with the fitness and how hard and like I'd heard from the, the Japan camp that he ran in 2000 and what was it 11 was it 2011 2015 uh, 2015 was like ridiculously hard and the Japanese like are notoriously hard workers and they were moaning about how hard you have to work when you're underneath Eddie so I was like two dodgy knees no way like I've never been good at fitness anyway I was like I'm done I'm happy just to see out my career at Northampton and then go over, go over to, to America and have a few years knocking around here good honesty Ben yeah I like that yeah how is um, how is America treating you so far so you've done half, half a season no. One and a half seasons. One and a half seasons. Yeah. Half seasons. Uh, it? Yeah, it's very at the beginning. Mm. Um, and New York's a bit of a weird one because everyone sort of thinks of New York and thinks of the glitz and the glam, but it's actually really hard to find somewhere to call like a home of rugby in, in New York. And so, so in the first year, we were here, there, everywhere, trained at Randall's Island, went to a random gym, you know, did our meetings in a random high school, stuff like that. And then... I said to them, you need to develop it and have everything in one area. So then they uh, linked up with the college, Wagner College on Staten Island. And basically we were going to use the baseball stadium in Staten Island to sort of play the game. So everything would be in Staten Island, but Staten Island is not the best. It's not, mm. not really a great place for people to come and no one really wants to go there in, in, in New York. So I think that's changing again. So I don't know where we're playing now, but as long as it's all in one area, they need to make up their mind and do like, you know, commit to like five to 10 years yeah. in one place so you can build a fan base and like do season tickets and that sort of stuff. And then I think we'll start going. What's that like though for you? Who You know, you've been at the top with England and the, what was probably the most professional environment around and then going from that and then a few years later, kind of, you know, j- jumping around to different training venues <laughs> yeah. and 
probably seeing some stuff that looks to all intents and purposes, a bit more amateur, I suppose. May it was so amateur that there's a the only free bus in New York is the one that runs from Manhattan to step to uh, Randall's Island, and it is free because it's uh it's the madhouse is on Staten Island. Right. I mean, not Staten Island on Randall's Island. So basically, and drug rehabilitation. So basically, a load of drug addicts and a load of nutters sit on this bus with a load of the Rudy boys on the way to training. And we used to see them like lemmings, like following each other around, like- A bit like the X Factor. Yeah, a bit like the X Factor, yeah, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> um, so it was very weird, but I, knew, I, I went into it with my eyes open. I knew it was coming off the ground. It was gonna be very amateur. But what I liked was the player's attitude, like all the American guys were real keen to learn, get better. Everyone wanted to create a professional environment. And, um, you could just see the potential of it all, if you know what I mean. Like there was only seven teams in the first year or yeah, the first year, then it went to nine. Now it's at 13. And now there's rumors of Hawaii, Chicago, like Lowe's jumping in maybe 16 for the year after. Uh, and more and more every time, and all the big cities are jumping in as well. So the actual, you know, and I know that every year it's going to get better in terms of, you know, if the money's behind it and it's sort of, has the momentum that I see it has. I think that it'll get bigger and better with every year it's in. It's definitely exciting. That's something that we're like hoping to be a part of probably. Drop that out there. Fish for contracts. You know, you know it's like, how long have we been on this podcast so far, Burnsy? You know, I haven't mentioned a contract yet. <laughs> I mean, is there a contract enough before we play together? Yeah. <laughs> are you... Are you trying to entice more English players to come over to the MLR? Are you kind of selling them the dream? Um... To be honest, I don't have to showcase it much. Everyone sort of wants to come to America anyway. I get messages from all kinds of players. I won't mention the names because they've all still got contracts and stuff. But a lot of players have messaged me, like big, high-profile names. Did you hear that the LA Giltinis have, well, supposedly they've just signed Matt Gitto and Adam Ashley Cooper. So, you know, we've had Mar Nonu there. We've had Bastro. Robbo's, Rob Shaw's out there. You know, there's some big names coming over. I know they're at the end of their careers. And until the money sort of gets big... Until I, I sort of worry about the English game though, because if, if the money gets too big in America and the people are getting paid like millions of dollars for six months, because that's all it is, six months of rugby instead of doing an 11 month season, I, I could see a lot of people being like, you know what? I don't want the, the harshity of playing 10 years of 11 months every year. I, I mean, and then obviously it means that you, you'd sacrifice your England career, but if you're getting a million dollars or even more money, depends how, what, what happens in America, because Americans, you know, Patrick Mahomes just signed a $500 million contract for the Kansas City. So one player who plays for, for one team in the NFL gets paid more money than probably the whole of the the whole of the, the, the premiership mm. back in England. You know what I mean? So that's the potential that America offers that, you know, we could, you, you could see the best players in the world coming over. But it's at the moment as well, they have that limit of only, you know, eight or nine players, I think, in, in your squad who are foreign. You have to have certain people from America, which is which I think is good. Keeps keeps everyone in. And it's salary capped at the moment as well. For now. For now. Yeah, for yeah. now. So uh, other than the logistical issues that New York are encountering with regards to where they play and where they train and taking the bus with all the meth heads over to yeah, Randall's, Randall's Island. Island. <laughs> like is the is the general treatment of athletes better or worse than in the UK? Because obviously they're so advanced with basketball with nfl is it at that level yet or has it just or has it just got the potential to go stratospheric when there's more interest when there's more money yeah no it has the potential it's not there yet i mean 
you, we we use like a physio company, so you have to go into the into a company to go and get your physio and stuff. It's not, you know, you don't have your own doctor. Like you know, it is very professional back in England. At the same time, you know, everyone has their own physios. You have chiropractors. You have your doctors. You're very well looked after. It's it is you know very high high level of professionalism. It's just that you know you look at like college American football and the cash behind all that and the cash behind the NFL. Their facilities are top of the notch. You know, you, you walk in there with a card, you swipe your card, you go into your your locker at university, this is, and your locker, you swipe your card and it gives you your protein drinks and all the sups that you're going to have for the day. And it's all like zooped down to you in tubes. It's all, you know, it's crazy out there how, and if you can link up, because obviously the rugby season and the American football season is different times of the year. So actually, if you play rugby, you get to use all that stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? So if you go to... You know, uh, California was it South Cal? I think are a university that's that's good at rugby. Um, you know, there's an Ivy League, so all Harvard, Yale, uh, Brown, and all those sort of universities. They all have brilliant facilities. And so, if rugby, it's going to take time. I think it's going to take five to ten years, but it, it'll eventually get there. And I, I have no doubt because I don't think the Americans do anything by heart either. They're either all in or all out. So, as long as it survives over the next five years, I'm sure we'll start seeing that level of professionalism come into the game. It's a it's a fertile hunting ground out in Bermuda. There, loads of American players and guys with interest in American teams out there, boys. Like shop window stuff, isn't it? Well, yeah. the, the the weird thing is, chatting to a few of the organisers, they want to make this like like uh, you know how New Zealand's Japan is New Zealand's like off season. They like play in you know play Super Rugby, then go to Japan to top up their bank balances. Well, basically, they were saying this this is the ten series is going to be a similar thing for the MLR players. So you can actually probably make just as much money running around playing tens and traveling around to all these beautiful places uh, than you can in the MLR. So obviously, obviously working That's, like we are. Oh yeah, we're working. Yeah, yeah we're working, working real hard. It's a nice. We work yeah, equally yeah, hard in the Cayman Islands and in Monaco and all these other <laughs> yeah. places that they plan on having the events. Seeing, seeing as we've meandered this way, boys, how is the Fire Festival of Rugby Union going out <laughs> there? <laughs> Have you met Joe Rule yet? <laughs> <laughs> Someone sounds jealous that they didn't get the comms gig out here. <laughs> Before we get onto that chip, it'd be a miss of us not to pick up your sevens career. Because oh, obviously, yeah. at its heart, Seventh Heaven is a podcast about sevens. Uh, winding the clock back. Don't want to over egg how many years we're winding 15. the clock back. 15 years. 15 years winding the clock back, yeah. So, how old were you when you played for England? Play so I was 20, 20, 20. 20 or 21, yeah. And that was probably. It's probably fair to say that the going on the Sevens World Series back then was a bit of a different place to probably what it is that we've experienced. This is how old I am, that John, John Brake was like a pup who was on the Sevens Series when I was doing it. Then when I first started playing, Simon Amor was like my mentor. Ben Gollings was the 10. Henry Paul was like our social, social secretary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I, yeah, I played with all the old boys, all the legends. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I, I honestly, I think one the fitness that it got me into, like the the shape and the fitness, and plus the running rugby really. And obviously, I moved positions sort of around that point as well. I was playing nine and then moved to fullback. And actually, the running rugby of playing in sevens is what made me such an attacking fullback when I made that transition into mm. into a fifteen. And, and so I, I thought, known for, was it? yeah, yeah. It, it really was. You know, obviously not anymore because the speed's got a little bit <laughs> touchy two knees. But um, yeah, I really believe that that doing that and gave me a hunger for it as well like playing you know obviously was playing for sale and, and breaking into that team but they were still only playing for like 12 30 000 people but then 
rocking up to Hong Kong and playing 30,000 nut jobs is, is pretty epic. And it's hard to be. Yeah, it gets you really in the mood. And Dubai, this was the same, you know, that they're, you know, the big comps that have big, big fan bases there are just unreal. So back then, there probably there wasn't as much money in the game in 15s, or there wasn't as large a disparity between 7s and 15s. So what was it that dragged you away from the lifestyle, the big crowds in 7s to go and play in Manchester in the pissing rain and the driving winds? Uh, well, money. Like, we only got, we got paid by the 7s if we won. Luckily, we were quite good, so we'd normally win one of the two, and then we'd spend all the money. So we'd win the first one, spend all the money, not win the second one because we spent all the money on the piss. <laughs> um, but it was like, yeah, it was always a dream of mine to play for England. And obviously, you know, I played, I played England under 16s, 18s, 19s, 21s, two years in a row. England counties, I was the youngest England counties ever player at 18. And then I played for England sevens. The Saxons and then played for England. So I did like every single age group. Completed, completed, yeah, completed it. Yeah. And now you're finally getting a London Royal. Show. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm back back to where I began <laughs> in the seven. So um, I know. Yeah, it was just the the, the fact I, I did actually. Um, I did in my I did a did my shoulder in George and had a rotator cuff slap and uh, yeah something else and basically I had to have an operation on my shoulder and Philippe Saint Andre was our coach and he was literally like. No, for them, you don't play for them no more. You only play for us. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. What was it like playing for Philippe Saint-Andre? It was, it was always fun because, one, he was like, his, his English was pretty broken, but he always told exactly how it was. I remember, I never forget the first game I ever played was against uh, Catania. In, they're a team from Sicily in the Challenge Cup. And basically we thumped them like 64-0. Uh, and I played on the wing. And uh, Philippe watched the game back with me and basically I made a break on the outside and then uh, on the outside of the guy and the fullback came across and, and tackled me and he's like, Foden, what you do here? You get the ball, you chip him, you catch, you score. It's easy. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty easy to say it like that. So I just loved how like, and obviously he was like Frenchman, so full of flair and, and, and the way he played the game. But he was, yeah, he was always quite supportive of me as well. He always said that I should be 15. I argued with him and said I should be a nine, but what do you what did you prefer? Um I preferred wherever anyone was paying me, to mm. be honest. So if wherever the money was. Fair enough. But I and I, that was the same thing with England. England were like, oh, if you want to play nine, you won't go on tour with us. If you play fifteen, you will. So I was like, Touch. oh, how much money do you get to go on tour? Okay, I'll I'll play fifteen. And that was the end of that. And then I my dad to this day still thinks I'd have made a better nine. But <laughs> it means you have to practice your left arm passing mm. a lot. It was the ball eight, but it's been so much juice in this Sorry. chat. Yeah, it's been good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm struggling to interact a bit because of the time delay and freezing up. So I'm usually a lot funnier than this, Fode. So <laughs> just don't really have to look these up when you get to, when London. You get to London. But Fode, I'm going to let you bounce now because I need to grill the boys on the predicament that is England 7s and what the next steps are. I'm sure you have far more glamorous activities to be occupying yourself with. But... Thank you so much for joining us up in the clouds. You are welcome in seventh heaven anytime. Okay, right. We'll let you go. I'm out. Right, you, you can talk to me about English sevens. Yeah. I did play. I was He's really legit. good. I was legit. captain at one point. I taught Ben Ryan everything he knows. <laughs> Can't believe it. First fully fledged England 15th international in seventh heaven. Um, Not strictly true. What? Rory. Yeah. 
Oh God! <laughs> you've got you've got to put that in. You got to put that in. Uh, but Ben Foden, what a boy! Hey, hey, uh, he's a handsome man as well, isn't he, Chip? Not bad looking. It's like looking in the mirror. <laughs> he's, like, he's funny guy. Like, he's like not very. He's like not guarded at all. Like it's just nice to. Yeah. He just chats. We had a bit of a uh, shindig when we got here just to get everyone to know each other. Um, and I was worried about that he wasn't going to be getting in the mix with the lads. Uh, but he was right in there straight off the bat. He was brilliant. Yeah, did play played the game really well. It's not his first social. So what? So what did you do uh, when you were worried, Chip? Do you go over and get him in a headlock and drag him over and force him to have fun with you? Because obviously Chippy appointed himself uh, social sec, leader of the court, etc. Fines master, judge, jury and executioner. And uh, so he was dishing them out. And you went at him as much as you went at everyone else, actually. Everything's equal in Chippy's court. Speaking of which, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of which, Burnsy, I know we've had a bit on a bit of sabbatical, so you can roll the titles for Chippy's Law. should walk that was absolute diabolical it's going to be a yellow card a car speak you'll bottle this gate Campbell um, yeah so here we are we're out in Bermuda um, it's a glorious setting we're working hard when we're working we're resting hard when we're resting we're on or we're off um, Burns are you working hard behind the scenes trying to get this pod up and running and you've got other people uh, who are taking the absolute Michael, absolute liberties, going on podcasts against your sworn enemy, Nick Heath. <laughs> we, all, we all know how you feel about him, Burnsy. Do you know what I mean? Envy is, is a disgusting thing. You know, jealousy is not nice. You're green on the screen. You're not, you're not happy at the start of the podcast. And clearly why? Um, Tom Mitchell, yet again, you're the re- recipient of uh, Chippy's Law this week um, for making time for Nick Heath. Uh, rubbing Burns up the wrong way, therefore making my life harder. Burns is a bit dry on the podcast. We got folds on BJ folding to his mates, <laughs> um, and and you know Burns is coming on all salty. And, and Mitch, that is all your fault. Um, so Chippy's law this week. Um, yeah, Mitch, I'm I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I had no choice to go on it, and uh, I had all intentions of plugging our pod as well, but it just didn't it just didn't come about in the conversation. Um, which is heinous, really, heinous. to go on another pod and not mention your own podcast. So I accept full charges, and and I don't know, I don't know what the punishment will be. Um, but what I am worried about is the fact that I'm going to have to give this T-shirt back. Now the listeners can't see, but I am wearing the first edition of the Seventh Heaven Pod merch, and it's pretty fresh, Chippy. I'm looking good, aren't I? Yep. Yeah, for you, for you. Yeah, not too bad. What it do you think? How's it looking on the arms? It's a nice tee. It's good fit. Nice cut. Just explain it for the listeners. Um, so on the back, we got the Celestial Sevens logo, uh, designed by Burnsy, with some lovely golden arches on there. Not the McDonald's ones, but uh, I presume it's the actual uh, ones. The actual ones. ones. The actual ones with a uh, rugby ball with wings off it, with Seventh Heaven. Um, and whenever I mention Seventh Heaven to people, people always go back to me. One night in heaven, one night in Seventh Heaven. Even the young lads. And uh, yeah, so it's an absolute top merch. Soon to be out on the store, Burnsy. And you'll be able to access that store via our brand new website, Chip, won't they? 
Oh, yeah, see, there's something we've all been working on behind the scenes. Uh, the website. Something we've all been putting hard work into. We have, haven't we, chaps? All those long hours on the website. You've earned it. Plug it, boys. Plug that work. <laughs> Burnsy, talk to me through uh, Dubai 2015 when you won it. You weren't the one that was scoring tries. You were getting held up short at the five metre line. You were running to the torch. You were running the wet on. But you were the workhorse, weren't you? Yeah. You weren't the flair. You were the you were the legs behind the business. You know what I mean? You're the engine. You're the one running half marathons. You're the one putting the graft in. Me and Mitch just look simply here to look and sound beautiful. Speechless. I got nothing. I got nothing. Um. Yeah, so the new website's live, www.7thheavenpod.com. You can find out information on myself, Mitch, and Chip. You can find all our episodes on there. You can contact us. And I think that's about all you can do on the website at the moment. But once we get the merch sorted out, you can then access that and uh, and lift some super sweet surfer-style 7th Heaven T-shirts for a song, I'd say. And a fine investment for years to come. Mitch is sporting at the moment. A little bit baggy in the arms, Mitch. But, you know, that happens to only one of three of us on the pod. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, jump on www.7thheavenpod.com. Right, boys, last time we all got together three months ago. Can you believe it? England sevens was in the most precarious of positions and unfortunately our worst fears came to realisation. So guys, just give us a summary of what exactly happened and the position that England sevens are in at the moment. So the end of August saw the um, the sh- shutting down of the programme for the time being. Um, we kind of all went our separate ways really. Uh, everyone was obviously in lockdown at home anyway, uh, doing their own training. And since then, we've had a big effort as a, as a group to try and uh, raise some funds ourselves to secure the future of the program um, and ensure that we can get back to doing what we like to do. Um, pushing for a medal in, in Tokyo is obviously top of that list. Um, so whilst guys have been doing what they need to do from a rugby point of view, a couple of guys have been playing, um, but certainly training. Uh, we've also been been trying to seek investment from various parties, various people. People have been very generous in terms of reaching out um, and in terms of giving as well. So it's been a really a tough time, a challenging time, but also an interesting one. And um, we're now in a place where we can kind of, you know, we're sort of optimistic about what the future holds for the program. Um, still hard to really nail down exactly what it's going to look like, but. You know, we're still the expectation that we're going to have a sevens program up and running that will put us in a good place for the Olympics next year. Yeah, so look, I just want to wind it back to the decision itself because it felt like you guys got strung along for quite a long time and you were given some hope, but then the decision they made was emphatic. Is that the way it went down? How did you feel about it all? So, yeah, we... We obviously got told the program was staying around and taking cuts to trying to save the program was the kind of incentives we were offered, um, taking the salary cuts. And then um, I think we all kind of knew the, the, the writing was on the wall when we signed on to the final Zoom call. Um, and it was Connor O'Shea, uh, Simon Amor and a lady from HR was the main screen. 
so I think that's when we kind of knew. Um, there wasn't a lot of clarity from the RFU about what the future held, but, but mainly because that was out of their hands. They were waiting for World Rugby to make calls. Um, and yeah, they always said we were vulnerable and they always said explore other options. Um, but there wasn't much clarity until the, the very end. Um, and I think I, I knew certainly as soon as I signed on that uh, Zoom call, the final one, um, that that was, that was us um, for the foreseeable. Um, yeah, like banging of emotions throughout the whole thing to be honest um, I was quite pessimistic from the start because I kind of and it's a big company and it's the way they operate it's, it's tough it's, they kind of take the emotion out of it and for, from a business point of view uh, they were obviously not seeing Sevens as a viable future option for players which is sad because obviously we all see the, the positives to Sevens but yeah it is what it is, and we we we've jumped back on our feet after being knocked down, and we're tr just trying to do the best we can at the moment to push forward to make sure there is a future for England sevens. Um, and yeah, who knows? Celestial One Stop Shop could be the big sponsor that we need. Burnley, mm -hmm. hands in pockets. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even have enough money in my pockets for t-shirts at the moment, but I'll work on the England sevens program, lads. Don't you worry. I mean, like jumping on that Zoom call and finding someone from HR there. I've had my fair share of HR meetings unexpectedly in my professional career, and it's an unpleasant experience. Did you feel ambushed? Um, to a point, yes, because um, the way normally in rugby clubs you kind of get told that you like obviously have experience that be not be not be retained, or they think they're going to go a different way with it. It's kind of a, a man to man or like face to face kind of job. Obviously, coronavirus kind of cut that that option out. Um, and I've never been there when a, a member of HR has been there. Like I, I, I had good chats with Richard Cockrell when I left Leicester who said, listen, like go to Nottingham, uh, play your trade, we'll keep an eye on you. And like, thanks for everything, but we're going to let you go. And it was an amicable chat. And the same when I left Worcester, I'd been at Worcester for four years and Dean Ryan called me in and said, listen, um, I think you should, you need to go and uh, look for another club because we're not at the end of the, at the end of this contract, we're not going to offer you another one. Um, he said thanks for everything and carry on and you know and it was it was an amicable chat and I think the kind of thing I struggled with a little bit with from the sevens was the fact that I, I presume legally they had to have the HR person there I don't, I'm not 100% sure on the logistics of it but it just felt a bit soulless and um, the same as when we got we got a, we obviously we got an email with a P45 through and then I got a generic thank you for your services to um, England sevens three line email after after making my debut in 2011 and being at the program playing 43 tournaments being there for five years just a, an email from someone I've never met before was a bit bit of a kick in the balls it was those sorts of like seemingly probably part just part of the operation and part of the system but to from our point of view those are the things that seem so avoidable and unnecessary that really were frustrating the, the unhuman touches to a process that could have been handled so much better. I mean, the outcome I think was the outcome's the outcome, and that's that's acceptable. And we, we I understand it, even though I don't agree with it, I understand it. But the way it was handled, I feel personally could have had such a better touch to it, uh, soulless, um, and just yeah, not that personal touch that, to be honest, rugby is kind of known for. Yeah. Do you think that's just a reflection of where professional sport is going, though? Because, I mean, the RFU, we think of the RFU and we think of England, but ultimately it's a multi-million dollar 
multi-million dollar. Why am I talking in dollars? Um, multi-million pound organization. And if you were working for a corporate company in the city that turned over millions of pounds or a law firm, you get the same HR treatment. So do you think it's probably just rugby waking up to the business sense of it all or that corporate structure? Or do you think it still needs to keep that personal human touch, as you said? Oh, yeah, I mean, the problem is the bigger the sport grows, the more this will happen, won't it? Um, and I'd like, to, I kind of would like to think that you can still have big professional contracts, and you know, people can live well off them, but you can still have personal touches. But unfortunately, when there are many strands to an organisation, as is the case with the RFU, there's always a risk that the things do get lost in the process and the big. Um, kind of corporate style system um, and it's not it's not good I don't think anyone benefits from it really um, and there's probably better ways but I think it's probably not unique to the RFU certainly right let's not dwell on the past let's talk about some of the good things yeah cheers Bernsey I spent the last we spent the last few days out in Bermuda trying to forget about all that rubbish uh, yeah 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 let's let's talk about some of your teammates who have done unbelievable things in the aftermath of all that in Premiership Rugby. I'm talking Will Muir, contract at Bath. Benny Harris, debut at Saracens, try. Dan Norton, Premiership Rugby for London Irish, try. Rory McConaughey, can't stop scoring. Now, boys, tell me, what is the common denominator amongst all these guys? All of them have been under my buddy system. Apart from Rory. The the Tinkerbell of English International Sevens, Joe Burns, has been sprinkling his pod stardust upon all of them. Will Muir, regular shout-out. Stuart Hooper, big hoops, massive listener of the pod. I'll sign that camel, thanks very much. I go down to Bath on the first restart of rugby weekend. I take Raws to one side. Doesn't score in the match that I'm working on for Premiership Rugby. Sprinkle a bit of stardust. Guy can't stop scoring. Benny Harris, shout, shout out on the pod, try. Dan Norton, who's what club is he? London Irish. Who's their stadium announcer? Joe Burns. I mean... Yeah, fair play. There's no arguing with that. Am I wrong? There's no arguing with that. Well, all right. Is it a slight issue with that. When the hell are you going to sprinkle some stardust on us then, mate? Well, you boys are in Bermuda. If you hadn't been hanging out with me, I'll tell you what, you wouldn't be on that plane. <laughs> But it is, all jokes aside, it is a demonstration of what sevens could be used for a bit more progressively in the English game. Obviously, Raw's is the runaway success um, for England and for Bath as an established player. But looking at, looking at, well, obviously, Will Muir hasn't played yet, but Benny Harris when he came in, and then a few other young players getting signed by Prem clubs and doing some really, really good things. Do you know another guy that I mentioned on the pod a while back who's done all right? Caleb Clark. Woo! Tearing up. He's different gravy, that lad. Do you see, uh, on the weekend when he came on, I'll tell you what breaks me though a little bit, which kind of was a half chippy's law, is that every time the new New Zealand winger comes on the scene, they all jinx him. Oh, he's the next Jonah Lomu. Give the kid a break. He's literally a kid. He's just played his first test. Let's just start his first test. He's bumped a couple of people. And the heaping the pressure on him in the media 
oh, look at him. Look how good he is. Look how good. Just give him a minute to develop as a player, to, to settle into international rugby. And then we'll have a judge him when he's finished his career. Oh, he was actually decent. Was probably better than John Alomu. Like, who knows? But he's never going to be better than John Alomu if you don't like... Let him breathe. Let him breathe. Also, I'm sick of the media hyping him up now because they're about however many months too late. Yeah. We picked up on him way back, lads. Yeah, he's feety, wheelsy. But he's a, he's a decent operator. And obviously, I just want to see how he develops on the international scene. Like, every level he's been at the moment, that and obviously, I, I'm not to my limited eye that I've seen. Um, he's excelled at it. He, he was... He was it wasn't like dead standout at sevens. He, he did some good stuff and he did some bad stuff. He almost probably wasn't there long enough to really be like a, an absolute superstar. But mm. for a guy who came on and I don't know how many tournaments he did, that's one for you to pick up in the stats, Bernsey. But um, I mean, he was he was good. Mm. He was good. And it, it's really interesting. Like, you know, if he hadn't have had that sevens exposure, the crowds, the space, the different challenges in terms of defending and attacking one-on-one, you know, would he have been able to go into a Bledisloe Cup game and, and tear up like he did? Probably not. Um, it's a very astute way of operating that they've got over in New Zealand. Um, and we do see it a lot with the way they, they utilise their sevens programme and the way they do. Right. Next steps for at England Rugby Sevens. What are you guys doing and what is the next plan to get you and the boys out on the pitch? But also, how's it going to link in with GB potentially in the year running up to Tokyo? No one knows where we're at. We don't know whether GB is happening or not happening this year. Obviously, there's a Team GB going to the Olympics. We're not sure of the makeup of that. Next steps for England Sevens uh, as a group. Um, We're trying to get money together. Uh, We've been chatting about potentially doing a Road to Tokyo documentary, but not sure if there's uh, backing for that, legs for it. Like, Obviously, it's a quite cool story seeing as we're all over the shop now. Like, obviously, a couple of lads are in Bermuda. Mike Ellery's in the city uh, trading oil, I think he's trading. Uh, everyone's doing doing all sorts. Bibby's back up north being a full-time house husband. Like the, the, and then the culmination of that to try and win a gold medal is quite a cool story. So there's might be legs in that. Uh, and we're just waiting for some rugby to come along, to be honest. Uh, we're all itching to play, hence why um, the lads jumped at the opportunity to be out in Bermuda playing a bit of cold. And we're at this stage now where we're trying to make things happen and we're trying to form a solid plan. And at the moment, some of those conversations we can't talk about and we can't share. Um, But hopefully it'll be something that's a bit different and a a structure that looks a little bit different that will allow Sevens to flourish both commercially and and on the field as well because it's a game that deserves to flourish in this country. I think that that is a wrap for your comeback episode of your Celestial One Stop Pod for all things Sevens. All that remains to be said is any shares, likes, subscriptions, five-star reviews are greatly appreciated on whatever pod platform you listen to us on. Please check out the new website, www.seventhheavenpod.com. And if you want to see the boys in action this weekend, it all kicks off on Sunday It's on Sky Sports in the UK, ESPN in the US and global channels. And I'm sure that someone somewhere is going to be streaming it illegally online. So check it out. But the big take back is that Mitch and Chip are finally going to be back on the big stage where they belong, playing a bit of code. And we can't wait to see him this weekend. But from all of us here in 7th Heaven, including our new mate Fodes, it is adios. Do 
Bye.